Holy Spirit, come and in the words I'm going to speak, the scripture, the things we're going to think in these next few minutes, help us to hear your call in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to welcome those of you in the narthex. It's great to have you with us. In the uh, 2004 Olympics, a guy by the name of Matthew Emmons was so far ahead in the target shooting contest that he was guaranteed a gold medal. He just had one last shot, which he took, and he hit it dead center in the bullseye. So, gold medal, right? Wrong. He shot the wrong target. He came in eighth. That's a bummer. When I read that story, my first thought was, sermon illustration. (laughs) That'll preach. Because we do that in life. We spend a lot of time aiming at something. Maybe it's a successful career. Maybe it's getting a lot of money. Maybe it's making people think well of us and trying to please people. We aim at a lot of stuff and we get it only to find that we've aimed at the wrong target and that we're still not satisfied. Something still seems to be missing. Do you ever feel that way in life? Maybe you have a lot of what you've always wanted, but, but you're still something, you're still a little restless or still a little bored, something's not quite right inside, and, and you think, man, I need, a, I need a job change or a spouse change or a kitchen remodel or something like that. Not that those things are the same. <laughs> the good news is that when we have aimed our lives in the, in the wrong direction, God comes in, most of us do that now and then, when we aim in the wrong direction, God comes in and he redirects our aim in life towards something that is bigger, deeper, richer, better. And that's what happens in the story we just read to the prophet Isaiah. God asks Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And that question can redirect your entire life to something more satisfying if you take it seriously. The story begins by saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, that is a significant line. Uzziah had been king for 50 years. That'd be as if Eisenhower were still president. And Israel had been prosperous, rich, successful, and Isaiah's an upper middle class guy, and and he's maybe a little worried. You know, the king is dead. What's going to happen to the national economy, the national defense, the security? And he has this vision. Maybe it was a dream. We don't know. He has this vision of being in the temple. And he sees God seated on a throne, and he's huge. And there are all these creatures flying around and smoke filling the air. And I mean, this is a big God. This is not a tame God, he sees. This is a big God who is about to turn Isaiah upside down. Sort of like the the first time I went body surfing in Hawaii. You know, I was used to swimming off off of Cannon Beach in the ocean there. And the waves there are kind of tame, you know. So I waited out in the water in Hawaii, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, the ocean is my friend. The ocean is my buddy. No, Hawaii's different. This huge wave picked me up and kind of turned me around and then slammed me down the bottom, held me under for what seemed like forever. And I'm thinking, the ocean is not my friend. The ocean is not my buddy. The ocean is big and it turned me upside down. That's what happens to Isaiah. God loves Isaiah. In fact, God loves Isaiah so much that he is willing to pick him up and turn him around and redirect his aim in life towards something bigger, richer, deeper, better. Now, that may not have been what Isaiah wanted. In fact, I think it probably wasn't. You know, Isaiah may have come to the temple maybe hoping to receive a little bit of comfort in an uncertain time. You know, but what he discovers is that it, while it's true that God comforts the disturbed, God also disturbs the comfortable. So he redirects Isaiah's aim in life towards something that's ultimately going to be more satisfying. You see, that's what happens when we genuinely encounter the living God. 
If we have genuinely encountered the living God in worship or through scripture or in prayer or something we think, he rocks our world. He redirects our aim in life. He wakes us up. I was preaching in a church once and there was this guy in the back of the room and he was sitting absolutely motionless. And as I was preaching, I kept getting distracted because I started to think, is he dead? Is he dead? I mean, should we stop and call 911? But what if he's not dead? Right? I can't just, you know, stop preaching and say, hey, you in the back, are you dead? Because if he's not, awkward, right? Awkward moments. Finally, he blinked. He, you know, he's just really comfortable there in church. See, right now you think I'm preaching? All kinds of things are going on up here. And I'm watching you. Jesus did not come to put us to sleep. Jesus did not come to make us comfortable. He came to wake us up and redirect our aim in life towards something bigger, richer, deeper, better. You know, it's always bugged me that we, we Christians sometimes refer to praying and reading the Bible as having a quiet time. Quiet time, if we are really hearing from God, we should call that receiving our marching orders. Because that's what it is. And why do we Christians go on retreats? Shouldn't we go on advances? I mean, right, wouldn't that be better? Yes, you, thank you, Marty. You can... I mean, Retreat, what are we afraid of? What are we running away from? Why do we have small groups? I think they should be called platoons. Because the more we hang around God, the more he's going to rock our world and turn us upside down and redirect what we're aiming for. The longer I have known God, the more I have a passion for things like justice for the oppressed, and restoration for hurting people, and fighting the devil to bring God's kingdom down here on earth just as it is in heaven. God redirects our aim in life. Which brings me to the next thing that God does. And that is that in redirecting our lives, he calls us into the adventure of participating with him in his rescue operation to the world. And he launched that rescue operation in Jesus. And he showed his power to make all things new by raising Jesus from the dead. And now he wants to continue that rescue operation through you and me. At the end of the story, God asks, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I ask this question all the time around my house. I'll... I'll say to my kids, the table needs setting, the floor needs sweeping. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And my kids kind of go, not me, not me, not me. Isaiah is different. Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Now, this is very unusual. It is very unusual for a biblical character to actually do what God asks. You know, Moses, Jeremiah, they're all like, not me, I'm out, man. Nope. But Isaiah knows a good adventure when he sees one. Last week, I quoted a scholar named John Stott who said that the three deepest longings of the human heart are for transcendence, that is connection with God, community, and significance. Transcendence, community, significance. But instead, we chase our culture's trinity, which is pleasure, comfort, and happiness. And as a result, we end up with fear, envy, and loneliness. But because God has redirected Isaiah's aim in this passage, Isaiah knows that real joy is found only when we connect with God, connect with other people, and find significance by being part of God's rescue operation to the world. So he says, here I am, Lord, send me, put me in the game, coach, I'm ready to play. And one of the things I love about all you all, one of the things I love about this church when I'm bragging on you to other pastors, which I do a lot, one of the things I just love about you all is that you're doing this. In your offices, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, in your school, you're saying, here I am, Lord, send me. One of the ways that we're doing that together is through the ripple effect. Today completes the second anniversary, the second year of the ripple effect campaign, of the three-year campaign. We've got one more year to go. 
Now, for those of you who don't know what the ripple effect is, you weren't here or you're visiting, that was our capital campaign, three-year campaign, to provide more and safer space for our children to hear about Jesus, to start the Jubilee Reach Center here in Bellevue to empower the urban poor to rise out of poverty, to help children in southern Sudan, and to build the Center for Champions in Rwanda, which will house several hundred street kids a year, give them job skills, give them a future, give them a hope. And we've got one more year to go in the campaign, but it's already making a huge difference starting with the kids who come to this church. This morning as I was coming to church, I saw a beautiful sight, a fence around the chapel building, which means we're actually getting permits now and we actually can start doing things. And, and when that is done, about a year from now, that'll be a great tool, a great space where our children can discover about Jesus, which I think is so important. Because when you look at what our culture says to them, when you look at what our culture is doing to them, messages like your happiness is found in buying the next new video game, or your worth is in your GPA, or if someone wants to have sex with you. All kinds of, of things that lead to heartache because they're aimed in the wrong direction. It's the wrong target. When I was in seminary, I did some substitute teaching at a high school just to earn extra money. And I was in one sociology class. I was supposed to ask the students what they thought about God. Any answer was fine. We are just supposed to have a discussion. But they were absolutely silent. So I said, okay, you're 17. I mean, you must have thought about God at least once in your life when you thought about it, what did you think? Is he there? Is he not? What do you think? Silence. Finally, I said, okay, well, then what do you think about? And this one girl said, shopping. I think about going to the mall. Okay, maybe it's a guy thing, but how do you think about shopping? First, I'll go to Macy's, and for dessert, I'll go to the... I shop, therefore I am. I mean... And I appreciated the honesty of her answer. I did. I, she was very honest. And Lord knows, I think about all kinds of meaningless stuff. But see what our culture is doing to us. See what it's doing to our youth. It is teaching us to aim for something that ultimately will not satisfy. Because as soon as we make the purchase, we want the next thing. Our youth, as well as all of us in this room, need help aiming our lives in a different direction. Recently in Sunday school, one of the lessons was on serving others. As part of that, they talked about how there are some kids in Rwanda who don't have a home, and that's why we're building the Center for Champions. Well, this one kindergartner got so excited about that that when his dad came to, to pick him up, he set his dad down and he made his dad, he recounted the whole lesson to his dad, made his dad listen to this whole thing, and then he showed him some pictures of kids in Rwanda and the Center for Champions because he was so excited about it. That is a child whose aim in life is being redirected from self to others by the power of the Holy Spirit. The new building will provide a place for that to happen for our youth. Then there's the Jubilee Reach Center. 700 people a month are helped there through things like tutoring kids and before and after school programs, English as a second language, computers classes, all the way to a community care program where mentors walk alongside families to empower them to rise above poverty. All done in the name of Jesus. In fact, this week it made the headlines in the Bellevue Reporter. You may have seen it. And I just think, you know, in a world where the stereotype of Jesus is he's mean, he's nasty, he's judgmental, it just to me, it feels good to be part of giving Jesus a little good press for a change. This December, the Jubilee Reach Center gave out Christmas presents to 250 families who couldn't afford it. At the last minute, a family of Russian immigrants with 10 kids came wondering if they could get on the list, but it was so far after the deadline, the staff had no idea how they'd do that. So they put them on a waiting list. The mom told the kids, you know, we're probably not going to be able to get presents because we came too late. So the kids started praying. Meanwhile, at just about the same time, a man from our church was driving his truck down the road and the thought crossed his mind that maybe the Jubilee Reach Center might have a family who needs gifts. You know, that's a pretty normal thought. You have it all the time, right? 
several times a day that thought crosses your mind. I mean, what are the chances that he would have this thought right after the kids started to pray? So he called and he asked if he could help. And the staff said, well, now that you mention it, we've got a family. They have 10 kids. Would that be okay? And he said, fantastic. We'll get them gifts. We'll get them a big dinner, even a Christmas tree. Now, think how that must have felt for this family, right? That, what a faith booster that must have been. They prayed and God answered. And for this guy, it was the highlight of his Christmas. He grew up poor. He knows the pain that comes around that, particularly at Christmas time. So to help someone else gave him a lot of joy. Plus, when he found out that as a result of prayer, he knew that the God of the universe had personally tapped him on the shoulder, personally said to him, will you go for me? And he said, here I am, Lord, send me. And then there's Africa. On Thursday, I and some others from this church were going to go to Rwanda for the opening for the Center for Champions. And for me, this is, this is kind of a, a, an important moment for me personally. I told you before how when we were there three years ago, we were at a rally for street kids. And sitting in front of me were about 30 eight-year-old girls, just cute as all get out. And the translator leaned over to me and said, see all those girls? Every one of them has been forced into prostitution just to get money to eat. It was one of the most, I'll never forget that moment till the day I die. It was, I thought I, thought I was going to die. I thought someone kicked me in the gut. It was so hard to hear. So for me, this is full circle because soon hundreds of street kids just like them every year will be given the tools they need to lead a long, joyful life off the streets. You have saved their lives in more ways than one. All that and more because when God asked the question, who will go for me two years ago, you all said, yes, we will. And you redirected some of your aim in life. You redirected some of your money. Thank you. And you said, here I am, Lord. Send me. And I know that for a lot of you, this has been hard. You've had to make sacrifices, big sacrifices in some cases. Thank you. And keep it up one more year to go, and we're making a difference. You are part of God's rescue operation for a lot of kids here and around the world. And this is what we were designed to do. We weren't designed to shop till we drop. We weren't designed to rack up achievements over and over again as if that would ever satisfy us. We were designed to partner with the triune God of grace in reversing the effects of the fall. So what are you aiming for? What are you aiming for? And where do you hear God saying to you, who will go for us? Because that is a question, if you take it seriously, that can redirect your aim in life in some really cool ways. Two small steps you could take to respond to that question. One, if you're not given to the ripple effect, it's not too late. There's still a year left. Sign up, start giving, be a part of it. The more we receive, the more kids we can help. Another simple step is to sign up for a four-hour shift for the service day in August, where we will literally be making many things new. We'll be in nine schools and 40 homes helping teachers and helping folks take care of their home who can no longer do it themselves for a lot of different reasons. city is super excited that we're doing this. In fact, you've heard me tell the stories about how some people from the city, people from the schools have started going back to church because of what we do in this service day. Still need about 800 more people and some more money, so I just want to encourage you to sign up or donate today. And that would really help us get accounts so we could plan. Those are two small steps you could take to respond to God's question, who will go for us? But I think the most important way you could respond to that, the most important thing you could do is this week, start praying every day, Lord, show me how you want me to partner with you in your rescue operation to this planet. Lord, show me how you want me to do that with the gifts and skills you've given me every day. Pray that prayer every day because God will reveal it. And then maybe ask some questions that help discern your call. Things like, what makes you mad, sad, and glad? Because your call may be at the intersection of those three. 
Will you pray that prayer this week? Last year, a house in Bellevue got severely burned in a fire, and the owner didn't have any insurance because he couldn't afford it. The Jubilee Reach Center found out about it and asked me and some other guys from the church if we'd help to restore the home. So it was sort of God asking, will you go for me? Well, a guy from our congregation named Jim, he stepped forward and said, here am I, send me. Mostly because the rest of us said, there is Jim, send him. (laughs) But he took that as a call. So he coordinated the efforts, since that's one of the skills he uses on his job. He coordinated the efforts. Rich Leatherberry and I, along with Jim and some other guys, did some of the manual labor. And we got a lot done, but then we reached a point where there's still some more carpentry work to be done that was beyond our skill level, since our skill level rises no higher than assembling Lincoln Logs. So it was very easy to max out on that. And Jim didn't know how we were going to get this done. I mean, didn't have money to do it. We needed to figure out how, who would do it pro bono or for a little bit of money. So Jim's kind of trying to train about this, trying to come up with a solution, and he can't figure anything out. Well, one night, Jim's wife invited him to help serve dinner to some homeless men at a shelter that we have here once a year. He didn't want to go. He was tired. But he ended up going anyway. Well, while he was there, he got in a conversation with a homeless man who couldn't afford to, to, who couldn't find work in Florida, so he hitchhiked all the way out here. And this man told Jim about how God had guided every step of the way. Talked about how one night it was freezing cold, he didn't have any money, didn't know what he was going to do, and he saw a light on in a building. And he figured that was God guiding him, so he went to the building. It was a boarded up home, but the garage was open, and inside the garage was a wood-burning stove with some wood right beside it. And he felt that that was God guiding him. Well, Jim kind of found that an inspiring story. And in the course of the conversation, Jim also discovered that this guy is a carpenter who does the kind of work that we needed done in the house. So Jim hired him to do that, and then, after that, Jim introduced him to a man who owns a drywall company who could hire him on a more permanent basis. Okay, Jim is part of God's restoration of a lot of things in that story. Because of Jim, a homeless man now has a job. Because of Jim, the man whose home burned down is having his faith restored. The man said, you know, after the home burned, the house didn't felt dark and evil, and he was praying for God to help, didn't know where the help was going to come. And then the church came in, restored it. Now he doesn't feel alone anymore. He says, I know that God's got my back. And for Jim, this has been a huge adventure. Not easy. In fact, most of it was really hard. And and every time I saw Jim, I just want to duck because I felt so guilty for getting him involved in such a big thing. But what Jim said to me is, no, this has been one of the best parts of my year. One of the most meaningful things I've ever done. I'm part of helping some people. And he said, God is way more real to me because I've seen him provide. Ironically, at a dinner for homeless men, I didn't want to go to. That's God's sense of humor. And I met a really cool guy who inspired me with his story of how God had guided him. And I believe God had a plan and guided the two of us together. And I feel closer to God because of it. Transcendence, community, significance. Jim got a little taste of all three in that story. Is that the target you're aimed for? Transcendence, community, significant, is that the target your life is aiming at? Because if it's not, God wants to redirect you, redirect your aim to something that's going to make life bigger, richer, deeper, better. You see, God's project is to make all things new, and that includes us. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. At the cross, the devil brought his A game. The devil threw his best punch. But Jesus absorbed all of that evil, all of that ugliness, and then Jesus was raised from the dead, proving once and for all that he can and he does make all things new. Not just some things, not just special things, not just now and then. He makes all things new. And he invites us to be a part of that. And he asks, who will go for me? 
And that question can redirect our lives so that instead of aiming at the next house, the next vacation, the next job, whatever it is, life becomes an adventure as we partner with the God of the universe to take back what the enemy stole from him, his world and his people. And this is what makes life meaningful. This is what gives us real joy. To know that it mattered that we were here. We didn't just consume, but we made a difference. It mattered that we were on this planet. That's what we were designed to do. In my old church, there was a woman who almost every Sunday after church would say to the exact same usher the exact same thing over and over again. She'd say, oh, I'm just so filled up. I just got so filled up in church today. Every week to the exact same usher. Finally, he snapped. One Sunday, she said, oh, I'm just so filled up. I'm just so filled up. And he said, well, then go out there and slosh around on somebody, why don't you? In a way, that's what God says to us. He says, look, there is a hurting world that needs to know that there is a God who loves them. And the only way that they're going to know is if we show them. We are plan A, guys, and there is no plan B. And when we partner in his rescue operation to this world, our lives get bigger, richer, deeper, better. God asks, who will go for me? Well, you say, here I am, Lord, send me. And then get out there and slosh around on someone who needs it. Lord Jesus, rock our world. Turn us upside down. Lord, redirect our aim in life so that we know that we are part of what you are doing in the world. Lord, do this and we will be grateful people. In Jesus' name, amen.